Welcome everybody to 2021 and our first podcast for the series, Industry Influencers. Want to welcome everybody. Thrilled to be able to welcome Ron Glosman, the founder and CEO of Chisel AI. Ron, thanks for joining us today and looking forward to the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. I know that uh, not everybody is uh, keeping tabs of you know, all the different insure tech startups within the industry. So I would love to have you give a little bit of background about yourself and then a little bit of background at Chisel AI and what really kind of gave you the idea to kind of start the company, what your focus is. For sure. I've been working on the problem area for about seven years now. And the problem area has changed a little bit, but it's always been focused around reading and unlocking trapped information and documents. When I started, I was a student studying computer science and business and I said to myself, it doesn't make sense that I'm reading this 1,000 page plus textbook to take a 10 or 20 page exam. That's like one or 2% of the content. Uh, What if I can teach a computer how to read, extract and summarize that information so I can just study the summary and then take the exam. And so being a computer science student, I set about doing that. I was pretty successful. I put out an app on on the web store and in about two weeks it went viral. It was in 33 countries, 44 of the top Ivy League schools in the world, like Princeton and Stanford and Harvard, Yale. It was in Russia, China, India, Brazil, Portugal, Switzerland, Netherlands. And it went on to be named one of the best 50 apps for students of all time. But as you you probably know, students don't have a lot of discretionary income. And so I worked on it as a hobby for about two to three years. And then in 2016, I was invited by RBC, one of the big banks in Canada, to a machine learning conference to present on the topic of natural language processing, which is the core of uh, the technology that we used in the past and is still the the core of the technology that we use today, although now we we're focused on insurance where we're just about to get to. But I came, I presented on this panel, and a few minutes after I got off stage, an email came in and it said, hey, I just saw you present. I know that this is an app for students, but I think insurance can really benefit. Do you have a couple of minutes to chat? And I looked at the sender and it was one of the largest insurance brokerages in the world. And I quickly followed up and said, yes, I'd love to chat. And I met with them several times over the coming weeks. And they educated me on the problem of errors and omissions and the process of reading binders and quotes and expired policies and then the new policy and comparing the information within it to make sure that it lines up. And they said, do you think you can teach a computer basically how to read this and do that? And so I was a confident young lad at the time a little naive to the problem, but uh, very confident. And I said, yes, for sure. And uh, we set off to work. And six months later, we had a working prototype, took that to some of the biggest companies in the world, won the Zurich Innovation World Championship. And since then, we've gone on to develop another product for the carrier space that helps carriers with the ingestion of new business or renewal business in the form of submissions and applications. So as they come in, being able to extract all the information that's stored within these documents, statements of value, schedule of vehicles, the applications themselves, the email bodies, et cetera, and getting them into the policy management, admin management system systems and the, the rating system so that they can actually price the risk. So to summarize, what we do is we teach computers how to read, primarily focused on the areas of policy check and reducing errors and omissions and uh, submission intake and getting uh, the information faster into your systems. So now since you stayed in education, you went from a student to being a teacher to the, to the computers. 
Yeah, that's that's <laughs> definitely one way to look at it. Oh, that's great. I did not realize that you had created that app for students. What a fascinating background, Ron. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a long journey for sure. And, and I think obviously the last three and a half years is probably the, the better known part as Chisel AI. And that's really where the focus is today. But the Genesis has a very interesting founding story. That experience that you had creating that app uh, for students and having that go viral, obviously that's a, that's a different kind of a world. Although, you know, a lot of those books that, you know, teachers teach in, in colleges, some of those can get pretty dry and pretty awful themselves and pretty complicated. You know, there's a correlation there to insurance, particularly around policies and, you know, all the language that goes around policies and the information that comes in. What do you see in the next couple of years based on that, you know, that uh, from a data perspective and from all of that information, what do you see that is missing that's going to help accelerate the real use of AI machine learning and insurance? Yeah, I think it actually starts with the data itself. And in my experience, and and this is at least what research has shown is uh, 80% of the data seems to be locked and trapped away in data silos and data lakes and all of these fun words that we come up with to mask a very nasty reality, which is we have a lot of data that we aren't using. And I think that's really the first piece, which is before we can even start to talk about like, How do we get to smarter pricing and how do we get into predictive analytics and preventative analytics? I think a large part of that is let's start with getting clean data and and data is the beginning of machine learning to be able to have good, predictable, repeatable, scalable models. You need to have large amounts of clean labeled data. That's really where partially where we are right now is we have, you know, a lot of opportunity. We see a lot of opportunities in the insurance space. There's many touch points. There's reinsurance and there's MGAs and there's TPAs and there's so many things we can even talk about that we haven't even touched on. And we see a lot of opportunities, but some of those processes to be able to get there and to enable them, we really got to start at the forefront, which is let's just get the data ingested in a digitally native format. And that's really where we are. Well, you know, that's an interesting thing because it's a topic I, um, I'm fairly passionate about is around data throughout my career. And one of the things that you just said is about having enough data for the AI or machine learning algorithms to be able to really be effective. And for a lot of insurers, particularly, you know, when you get down underneath the, the tier ones and tier twos, some of those insurers don't have a lot of data, you know, because they may be in a few states or they may be in certain lines of business or whatever. And even for some of the big insurers, they're in certain lines of business, they may not have enough data to really do anything. And so there's this concept about a contributory database where people can, you know, that there's a, a way to share some data with uh, anonymizing, you know, the customer um, specific information so that uh, say for a certain line of business, say it's for agriculture, something in agriculture, you could actually be able to consolidate more data across uh, different geographies and across different types of agriculture uh, businesses to be able to do better uh, level of AI machine learning analysis to be able to get really good insights that we are able to get today. So kind of give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think think that's an interesting point. I think there's certainly you know, companies that have enough data and then there's companies that, that, that need to pull their data together. And I've seen, I've seen it go both ways. I don't necessarily have enough 
data to form my own opinion, even on sort of which one's better. But uh, one idea would be, you know, to, as you say, pool the data together. And I think the advantages of that are, are multiple. One is that you'll have better models and you'll typically have a lower cost of building models. That what you give away there is sort of the competitive edge, which is if, if you do this, you know, then every, everybody else who contributed their data into that data pool will also have the same level of, of expertise. And so there are some big companies that in theory have enough data to do it on their own and they're trying to do it on their own. And we're also seeing a lot of companies starting to come together to contribute the data. I think the other thing is that we are also having some progress in the field of machine learning when it comes to models that require less data. And so I think it's the problem is being approached from both directions. One is the, the level to entry, the bar is coming down. So where it used to be, you might need tens of thousands of records and then thousands of records. Now we see some models that have hundreds of records and Recently, they're talking about things like one-shot learning, like it literally needs to see it one time. I think as the field progresses, we'll see that bar come down, enabling more people to enter it. That, that's great. I hadn't heard that. That's uh, fantastic news that if it really kind of keeps, gives a level playing field, so to speak, to anybody regardless of their size. But the, the counter to that then is, is that can everybody hire and afford to have a data scientist, you know, that really knows and understands this technology, knows how to uh, build the algorithms, knows how to, how to run that? You know, how do you bring talent to bear, particularly if you're, you know, in some of these smaller insurers that may be in locations that typically is not necessarily attractive to uh, young individuals that are coming out of, um, you know, high tech areas, so to speak? How do we kind of approach that? Yeah, I, I actually think when you're small, the goal should be to partner rather than to build. And I think even when you're large, for the most part, the, the goal should be to partner, not to build. Insurance companies are very good at many things. They're good at assessing risk. They have uh, an expertise unlike anybody else. And so when, there's also companies that focus on machine learning, right? And like Chisel will be one example. Yep. And, and we employ underwriters. We've, we employ former underwriters. We employ statisticians, these types of people who come from the industry alongside our data scientists to build our solutions. And the goal is that we, we and, and any company that, that has a partner approach should be able to deliver more value for your buck. So a higher quality solution than you would be able to build in-house for the same or less cost than getting the data scientist. So I don't yep. necessarily think these small carriers or small brokers should be going out there and trying to build their own data science team. Oftentimes we'll come back to that problem of not having enough data. The amount of infrastructure required to do data science and expertise, typically it'll just be easier to partner. And I think that's yep. the better solution. Absolutely. And that's, that's in fact what, you know, we're doing is, is partnering, you know, want to partner with a broad set of um, AI machine learning organizations that can bring different types of capabilities. So talk about how you're helping insurers kind of innovate and provide value back to their customers. So you talked a little bit about the rating and the underwriting process. What other areas are you kind of looking into that could be a little bit uh, more innovative and forward thinking? Yeah, and I'll, I'll speak more broadly. I mean, there's a, I, I hear a lot about claims. We personally yeah. aren't involved in the claims process. So 
I, I won't jump into the, any specifics, but for the concept of just some thought leadership, I think claims is definitely an area that's ripe. And I know that there's a lot of startups nipping at, at the heels there trying to figure it out. I also see a lot of opportunity in the, the space around things like predictive analytics. And, and this comes more in the telematics. So I've seen a lot of really, really cool things actually with telematics. And I think especially now with Corona and usage-based pricing, that's also a very good opportunity. Um, and not all of that even has to do with AI, right? I think a lot of it just has to do with cloud computing. Oftentimes, concepts get, get bundled together because oftentimes AI and SaaS are delivered via cloud, but that doesn't mean that everything that's cloud has AI or SaaS in it. And oftentimes you can solve problems without needing to go into AI because AI is a, it's a double-edged sword. There's a, some problems with explainability and repeatability. And that's one of the downsides of AI is, is it's hard to determine why exactly a machine made a prediction that it did. On the flip side of that, there's a lot of opportunity where oftentimes when there's no well-defined rules for something, like it's not a game of chess or a game of checkers where you can write out a predetermined set of rules, AI can bridge the gap and really get you solutions that wouldn't be possible through traditional technologies. And so I think we're seeing a lot of that. And I think, interestingly enough, I was talking with somebody last week, some of that has even come into market with uh, like Lemonade mm -hmm. and Roost and like all of these companies that are going public. I think people are starting to see the opportunity that insurance has when it comes to AI. I think that I, it was an article that I read actually about them because there's been a lot of when they first entered into the market, you know, there was a lot of speculation and discussion around would they really succeed or not? You know, could they really be successful? Particularly because early on, the ratios were, were pretty high, but obviously they had small numbers at that point in time. And yet every time they had a claim, they kind of learned from that claim and they adjusted their algorithms in the underwriting process and the rating process. You know, those numbers have continued to improve over a period of time. But I think in this article I read is that ultimately, and I'd love your opinion on this, ultimately from an AI machine learning standpoint, you could po potentially get to the point that you really are able to underwrite risk very, very effectively and be able to potentially help people avoid a claim just by providing some maybe value-added services. The cost comes down and that you could almost then, when you do have a claim, because you could almost ensure that it's not fraudulent, that you could just automatically pay the claim that drives down the operational costs. That kind of that vision out there is that it could really fundamentally change the operating model and therefore the cost structure uh, and therefore the pricing of products. For sure. I think it's, it goes broader than just AI. One thing that I read about is like things even as simple as freeze and flood damp sensors which are mm -hmm. extremely cheap like and then tip i'll put them more in the iot device category yeah things like that where you know i believe it's like 49 or over 50 percent of claims are just related to flood so if you if you can go and prevent some of those simple losses then of course you can bring down the price and so I'm, I'm very excited for all of these technologies that are enabling that. I think also more on, on where we focus on the back end, I think, you know, the human labor and the cost, at least in North America, means that two thirds of the world's population is uninsured. And I think that's really unfortunate because insurance is 
a very powerful tool. And I think the people today that don't have access to insurance are probably the ones who are some of the most likely to need it. Like they're probably farmers in the sub-Saharan Africa. And so those people to be able to get livestock insurance for them would be Mm -hmm. very meaningful. But the cost of filing a claim and just having a human have to answer the phone on the other line makes it very cost prohibitive such that two thirds of the world is uninsured. And so I'm also very, very bullish that not only will, will technologies like that, like better pricing, bring down the cost, but also the ability to automate a lot of these backend processes mm-hmm. will enable people, more people to get the, the opportunity to have insurance. Yeah, and I also think that through some of your analysis that you do and the algorithms, we can find untapped risk needs in the marketplace that, to your point, are really significant markets that just don't have risk products available to them that are cost-effective and really meet the need. For sure. Yeah. So as you continue to evolve, uh, where, what do you see going forward for Chisel AI and for the future of insurance, say three to five years from now? In three to five years, I think we'll be more in the space of using data. So we started off talking about how today, at least what I've seen is we're very much in the beginning stages of just getting the data that we have unlocked, getting access to it, structuring it, figuring out standards, all of those things. I think in three to five years, we'll, we'll have figured that out. And we will now be able to do some of these predictive pricing things that we just talked about. We'll be able to utilize the data and have some more of the downstream effects. I'm also excited for, you know, a completely even different paradigm. And and maybe this will take it slightly differently than where, where you meant to go. So let me know if I went too far here. But I think in three to five years, like we can talk about self-driving cars because auto insurance yeah. is obviously huge. I know I'm not close enough to the, to the space to be able to make any confident predictions other than to say, I think it'll be very different in three to five years. Um, or at least it'll, it'll be starting to look a little bit different regarding who, who bears the insurance, maybe comes bundled with the car. Is it the software provider? Is it the manufacturer that's li- liable for it? I think there's going to be a lot of really interesting things that we're going to see coming to market there in three to five years. And then finally, I think it's regulation. I think, especially with COVID, we've seen a lot of acceleration. Things like work from home and more specifically being able to do like certificates of insurance. And we were starting to have digital certificates of insurance, but they weren't available everywhere. And that has really accelerated over the last year. And I think that change is going to just keep going for the next five, three to five years. And, you know, before Corona, I think some of the changes we would have predicted would have been like probably three to five years out. We just experienced in the last year. So I'm bullish in the next three to five years. We'll sort of, we'll sort of be like where we thought we would be in five to 10 years. If we talked like a year ago, if that makes sense. Yeah. I just saw a quote from an executive from Shopify that basically said that what we thought we would have to be prepared for in 2030 we had to be prepared for that in 2020. So we just collapsed a decade, digital transformation in a year. And I think that has really kind of set a shockwave, you know, through the industry and continues to, because when I look at consumers and I look at businesses, particularly the the small medium businesses, which makes up the majority of the marketplace, they've all had to adapt. And while there's been businesses that have failed because they, you know, the closures kind of uh, shut them down uh, permanently, Many of them have gone on from an entrepreneurial side and picked up other business. 
and other businesses picked up work, you know, the whole delivery service with Grubhub and everything. So there's all these different models that have, have emerged now as a result of our experience over the last almost a year now. New risks kind of come in and, and new products are needed and our behaviors are different. And I think we're yet to see the impact of that and what that all means. And so data and information around how we're all changing is going to be really interesting to be used to be able to create those new products in the future too. Exactly, for sure. And I think that Shopify exec, that's, that's a great quote. I love that quote. Yeah. So if you could pick one word to describe the future of insurance, what would it be and why? One word. All right. One word. <laughs> one word. Let me, let me meditate on it. I think the word would be connected. I think that connection to me implies a couple of things. I think obviously it means the free flow of information. That, that's one thing. And I think that, that, that can mean a couple of things. One is digital standards, digital exchanges. It can also mean things like uh, being able to read unstructured data and documents and convert into structured data. That's part of it. I think the other piece is how we buy it. I think that um, there's going to likely be some type of disruption there. The, the delivery methods are ever-changing. People want more and more wanted now and wanted at their fingertips. So I think we'll see some, some changes there. And, and really, I think it's going to be, in some sense, more about relationships. Because as the world becomes more digital and everything is easier to get, it's going to be all about differentiation. And the differentiation is probably going to come down to customer service. It's going to come down to experience. It's going to come down to knowledge. It's going to come down to, in some sense, like some of what oftentimes when I meet with people, they're worried about, you know, this being a catalyst to change and, and brokers fear that they're going to be disintermediated and sometimes even carriers fear, fear that because they say, well, brokers own the relationship and I don't. And if they send business to my competitor, there's nothing I'm going to do about it. And I think really in some sense, that's the opposite is going to happen because people are not going to want to talk to computers and it's going to be all about how good is your customer service because that's going to be the primary driver and the primary differentiator between you and the next opportunity. So I think it's going to be all about communication and connection. I totally agree. I think that's spot on. So it has been a pleasure, Ron, chatting today. And, you know, I predict at some point in the future, you're going to go back into the, on the education side, you know, and, and <laughs> share and share what you've uh, learned and experienced in insurance. And to be honest, that's what we need for an industry is to kind of have, you know, some young uh, individuals who've uh, been able to apply the technologies and really learn and find out that insurance is really a really important thing. And, and, and quite frankly, it is pretty cool. And we can make it even cooler if we all kind of work together and collaborate and leverage these technologies. And so I look forward to seeing that, Aran. I, I, for sure. I mean, that's interesting. I, maybe it's, it's certainly a path that I, I am excited about insurance. I used to be a, a snowboard instructor. Maybe I'll go back to being an educator one day. I never really thought about it, but I am definitely an advocate of the insurance industry. And I, I wish more young people got into it. Uh, me too. Well, once again, thanks so much, Ron. And uh, we're looking forward to hopefully seeing, seeing you in person this year sometime. Look forward to our further conversations. Thank you so much. Thank you.